we are asking our God to say well done. We are pleading with Him to allow us to enter into the gates of heaven. That's where we want to be. And that's where we want to go. So uh, tonight, let's continue to worship our God with all of our minds, heart, soul, and strength, bringing glory and honor unto His name. It's great to see you here tonight, both members and visitors alike. Let's go to God in prayer, please. A great magnificent God in heaven, we praise Thy holy and divine name. We certainly separate You from all else. Oh God, You are our number one. And we thank You. We thank You for this opportunity to worship You again. We know, Lord God, that You have promised that one day You will return. Perhaps tonight will be that time. Whenever that day may come, oh God, we pray that You will find us faithful to You and that by Your grace and mercy You will take us home to be with You forevermore. We know that none of this can be done without Jesus Christ. And for that, we thank You so very much. We thank you, Lord God, with all the words that we can muster up. We praise you. In Jesus' holy name, we pray and thank thee. If it be thy will, amen. The game of risk, um, it's it's an interesting game. It's a game that is about conquering. You conquer the world uh, by occupying all the territories on the board. There are 42 territories, and there are only six continents on, or in this game. And you can set up alliances, and you can eliminate as many enemies as you like. The goal of the game is to occupy every territory that you possibly can during the duration of the game. And sadly, this reminds me of the greed of the world to, to gain as much territory as one possibly can, regardless of the loss of life, regardless of the destruction of families, regardless of any human being. And it reminds me of power. Turn to Mark, please. Chapter 8. Reminds me of, of power along with greed, that, that man searches and seeks for Power. Christians sometimes find ourselves in that in that that hopeless vantage or viewpoint of life that I want all power can have that that belongs to God. Mark eight in verse thirty six, the Bible says, "But what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul?" So at the end of the game, risk. Though it was just a game. What true profit was there? And if you're thinking like me, right now you're thinking about Putin and Russia and Ukraine. And you're asking, at the end of the day, what really was the point? Or is the point? And we're watching and witnessing the loss of life, the lives of our brethren, the lives of innocent children and women. We're watching the Ukraine We're watching what it really means to play this game, risk. The loss of life is tremendous, and it's it's a game of, of, of hectic events, and it's sad. I trust and pray that we're praying for the innocent folks involved in this treacherous war. I pray that we're praying 
and thinking about the innocent people of the world who are suffering on all seven continents. I trust and pray that we're thinking about everyone. Here's what we know. We do know that the Ancient of Days, we do know that God is hearing our prayers and that God will hear our prayers and God will act accordingly whenever it's ready or whenever he's ready or whenever the time is there. But let's continue to remember our brothers and sisters in prayer. This game of risk just reminded me of this. Just I'm witnessing it. I'm watching it with my own eyes. Greed. It made me think of greed. Coming back to that word again. As I thought about greed, I thought, wow, what a, what a terrible thought. Luke, please, chapter 12. To think that, that humans can become so greedy to where one might even say that enough is never enough. And then you have to step back and say, oops, that's what we see every day, right, in the world. Greed. We'll never be satisfied, will we? We'll never have enough. The eye is never full of seeing. The Bible says the ear is never full of hearing. We'll, we'll never have enough. And even though Paul talks about contentment and the command of God is to be content, right? Godliness and contentment. For some reason, we can't find that contented state of mind. We just can never have enough. Jesus spoke to this in Luke chapter 12, beginning at verse 13. And someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. Every form? So there are forms of greed, right? There's greed. And God says when you start digging into that subject matter, which we will not do tonight, but when you start digging into the subject matter of greed, you'll find there are different subtopics under that main topic. There are forms of greed that are terrible. So Jesus says, guard your heart from every form of greed, for not even with one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Every form, I want you to go home maybe and think about every form of greed. And so when someone says, well, are you greedy? Well, let's see, what form are you speaking of, right? There's more to it than that word greed. That's an English word translated over, if you will, from the Greek, but there's so much depth in the Greek with that idea of greed. So what does God say through Timothy? In verse 6 it says, but godliness actually is a means of great gain. So when someone comes to you and says, hey, you know, I can't figure this out. I'm, I'm really godly. I'm a spiritual man. But man, I just don't know. I can't, I can't get enough. I'm, I, I've got this and I want to do this and I want more of this and I want more of that. You could say, well, are you really godly? Right? I mean, that's a good question because godliness, godliness is a means of great gain when it's accompanied with contentment, being content with what we have, remembering that everything that you see is going to burn up one day. All of it. It's all going to burn up. The whole entire earth, the universe, it's all going to burn up one day. And then verse 7 says, but we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. And if we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. Have I found that state of contentment in my life? Please, Ecclesiastes 
chapter 5. That state of contentment. Or am, am I thinking, like so many in the world have in the times past, and even in our present day, am I, am I still trying to gain more territory? Am I, I mean, have I ever found, or have I found in my mind, have I found enough? I've got enough. Could, could any of us say that tonight? Could any of us say, you know what? Thank God, He's blessed me with many years on this earth. And you know what? I, I finally, I have enough. I, I have enough. Please ask these five. In verse 10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. This to his vanity. So it's not just money, it's stuff too, right? You never have enough. You never have enough. I just need more. Until you take uh, those trips across the oceans and you are in the presence of those folks from other parts of the world who are struggling, who don't have the financial resources and the blessings that we share. And, and they find that there's this one little thing on the dirt and there's plenty of them. God gave us all. He gave us so many of them. They're little sticks. And you watch little kids play with sticks and rocks. And, and there's an abundance of them. And they play with those sticks and their rocks. And, those, and you say, well, they're really happy and they're excited. Yeah, but you know, kids will be kids, right? They'll even fight over the stick. Like, there's 20 more sticks over there. Well, those are his sticks. We, I, I don't know. It's just for some reason, we just, we, we'll find something to, to fight about when it comes to stuff in this world. Will we ever gain that point where we just we can say enough is enough turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 please how about taking risky chances you know unnecessary risks in my life when you're a child of God and you're, and you're trying to do the right things how many of us come close to that fence you know it's like I'm, I'm, I'm on the fence then I get off of the fence and I, I want to serve God and I want to live for God but how many of us push the boundary just a little bit? You know, as kids, we did that, right? You know, mom and dad said certain things you can and cannot do. And they told you not to touch something. You always got close to it, right? You didn't really touch it. You just, you just got close to it, right? For some reason, we just love to test those boundaries. And, and we grow up and we're kind of the same way. And we find ourselves sometimes showing up in places and or doing things that we know are close to our own weaknesses temptation because we know what we like so we know what our desires are and so we like to get we like to get close to it not always touch it are we putting ourselves in places and doing things that we know are risky first corinthians 15 and verse 33 for god is not excuse me i'm in the wrong place <laughs> right that one that was wrong that is a good one though god's not the author of confusion Verse 33, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. It doesn't just say that bad company corrupts good morals. It says, do not be deceived. Because sometimes we like that bad company because that bad company will help us to get closer to the fence, right? Of, of that riskiness, if you will, in our lives. See, we know what we like. Turn to James chapter 1. We know what we like, and what we like 
We, we may not always want to admit it. Um, it's a weakness that we have sometimes, some of those things that we like, and we like to get close to the fence, right? Are you putting yourself in situations, though, as we get closer to that fence, that could cost you your soul? That's a good question. So James says, maybe, maybe we are. James talks about this in verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil. And he himself does not tempt anyone. I mean, I know that's easy. It's easy to blame God, right? You ever heard someone say, well, yeah, but, but God made me this way. Well, they're saying it today, aren't they, right? I mean, look at the whole movement, all the movements going on. Well, God made me this way, and so that's why I'm on the fence. No, you're, you're over there because that's where you want to be. God didn't make us sinners. God made us upright, made us pure, right? God, God didn't make, well, you know, God knew I had these weaknesses, and he put those weaknesses inside of me, and that's why, I'm, no, God didn't do that. But it's easy to blame God. It really is. But let, let no one say when they're tempted... That we're being tempted by God because God does not tempt us. So that's not going to work with God. And then he goes on in verse 14 and says, But each one, every one of us, right, is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by someone else's lust. Well, that's not what it says. I'm tempted by my own lust, right? Again, it's the stuff that I like, and that's what draws me to the fence, right? The fence isn't calling me. It's what I like. What I desire is calling me and drawing me to the fence. What you have to do, what I have to do, is admit that I like my sin. And then say, I'm going to stay away from it. And, and also admit sometimes that I love my sin more than I love God today. And then stay away from that and ask God to forgive you and ask God to help us. We're at war. And Satan is trying to occupy space in our minds and trying to take more and more territory within us. Don't give it to him, right? Don't give it to him. Well, the scripture goes on in closing this out in verse uh, uh, 15. Then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Here it is again. Do not be deceived, right? Bad company corrupts good morals. And now do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. When you are tempted, it's you. Okay. Don't trick yourself. It's just so easy to do that. It feels better to trick myself. Because I can blame someone else, right? No, my wife made me do that. You know, I would have never, no sir, I would have never done that. But she, no, you chose to do that. Right? All right. Colossians chapter 4. Trouble is what our end will be if we're taking those risky chances, right? You ever thought, oh, I'm strong enough to do this? I'm, I'm strong enough for this. And then, and then find yourself in a pickle? Many souls are in danger because, because of the words we use. Let's think about that for a moment, right? Think about, if you will, the, the game Scrabble. You're always looking for the right words to use, a spell, and and gain an advantage and get more points. If you hit a double double word score, double, you know, it's just so, so exciting, right? What about our words that we use as Christians? 
we say we're, it's not just, it's not just what we do. Colossians 4 is, talks about more than what we do. It's also what we say. <laughs> right? I mean, so, so on one hand, you have the, you have your guard up and you, you, you know, you're fighting Satan and you're like, okay, I'm good now. I'm in good shape. But don't let down your guard on the other side though. See, Satan will come through windows, doors, any space that he can come, right? And occupy the space in your mind. And so he may come through your words too, not just your actions. And in Colossians 4 and verse 6, kind of putting things into the proper perspective, it says, let your speech always, always be with grace. Always. But folks, see, I just like to hear you talk. Sometimes we think people want to hear us talk, But let your speech always be with grace, seasoned, as it were, with salt. You know, it's not good for you, but can't help but to take those fries and put them in the fryer. And and allow them to accompany your meal with a hamburger or, or whatever it may be. But very few of us eat them without some kind of seasoning. And if you get the right kind of seasoning, you go, mm-mm, good, right? That's how our words are supposed to be. Seasoned. Like that steak or whatever it is, it's seasoned, right? It, it, it's, it's good to our soul so that you may know how you should respond to each person. i got to watch what I say and how I say it. Ephesians 4, please. I have to ensure that the words that I use come out in such a way to where they are with grace, that they build up instead of tear down. Ephesians 4, 29, the Bible says, let no unwholesome word. You know, that's what Peter knew, right? You know, Peter was out there and he found himself in a pickle. He took a risk. What was his risk? He said, you know what? This lady knows, she she knows who I am. And the only way I'm going to get her is if I change my speech. I'm going to talk just like the world. They'll never identify me as being with Jesus. And I guarantee you this, church, if you talk like the world, people in the world will never identify you as being with Jesus either. They'll say, you must not know the man. We got to watch the words that come from our mouth. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. But only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment that it may give grace to those who hear. And so here are these words that are a blessing to others, to those who hear us. But they're also a blessing that comes back to us because we also hear what we say. We also hear what we say and we believe what we say comes from the heart. What are you saying? What's coming out of your mouth? That exposes what's inside of your heart. And Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12 that we have to be very careful with the words that come or proceed from our mouths. Right? In Matthew 12 in verse 36, the Bible says, And I say to you that every careless word that men shall speak, they shall render account for in the day of... Oh, wait a minute. On judgment day? So God heard it, and God's not. Sometimes we say, well, why won't God? Why doesn't God do something about this? Well, what if he did something about the words that came out of my mouth right now? 
Then we change our tune. Well, maybe, okay, not, maybe, maybe. God says on judgment day, he's going to reveal what's come forth from our mind through that tongue. And in verse 37, it says, For by your words you shall be justified, and by your words you shall be condemned. So, I want to venture away from my, my, uh, my lesson for just a moment, and if I could, just for a moment, and give you three other scriptures to think about. There's a battle going on in our mind. It's a battle of the mind. This game hasn't, I don't know, maybe that is a game, maybe it isn't, but to Satan it is. A battle of the mind. How can I, how can I take this person who's trying to do what's right and get into their minds and then, and then just tweak it just enough to cause that individual to lose their souls. And so I'm going to change their battle a military word, their battle focus. I want them to start fighting the wrong stuff. Right? I, want them to, I want their minds to be preoccupied with something else so that I can weaken where he's strong. And I want to go to Proverbs chapter 4. He wants to catch us with our guards down. So if you will, in, in, in boxing, you might say he wants to hit us with a counterpunch, the one that you didn't see coming. Maybe that's why we have brethren. He wants to, he wants to catch us with our guards down. He wants to keep us, uh, if you will, in the hollow of his hands and lure us away from God. And you know what else he wants to do? He wants to catch us sleeping. Yeah. If I can catch him sleeping, I can work on him. Let me give you an idea about catching him sleeping. You ever, many, many people, I mentioned this, I think, some time ago, or maybe I haven't here. Um, you ever gone to bed with the radio on? Maybe it's really low. You wake up in the morning, and there's a song stuck in your head, right? The radio people, right, disc jockey, whatever it may be, they've been working on your mind all night. Now, how many bad words did you hear in those songs you were listening to? How many bad songs did you hear when you were going to sleep? What, what type of messages were you listening to? Throughout the night, see, your, your brain kept working. The subconscious mind steps in when you're asleep and it's still alert and is listening. Satan wants to catch us sleeping. So for my children, I played the Bible all night long. You know, when we had DVDs, right? Or videos, CD, CDs. All night long. That's what they went to bed with and that's what they woke up to. That's, that was a good choice. That was a good choice. And then they got used to it. And then one night we didn't turn it on. They, Mom, Dad, you forgot to turn on the Bible. But they started loving what they were hearing. Right? It brought them comfort. It brought them solace. You're struggling with, with, with um, issues of maybe depression or you're struggling in some way. Just turn your book on let it play. Let God take you to bed. Watch what will happen to you. Just play the New Testament, if you will. Pray Proverbs. and something you have control over. Just play it and listen to it through the night. Satan is trying to catch us sleeping, though, even while we're awake. Even while we're awake. In Proverbs 4 and verse 23, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. 
Put away from you a deceitful mouth. Put devious lips far from you. Let your eyes look directly ahead and let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Watch the path of your feet and all your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right nor to the left. Turn your foot from evil. God says, look, I want you to stay focused. That's a hard task, isn't it? Psalm 139, please. That, that's a difficult task to stay focused at all times. Now, in some of our professions, uh, if you will, uh, you're trained to be focused at all times. You're trained to watch for people's, uh, the way they stand, the, uh, the moves they make, body movement. You're trained, you're trained in so many different ways to be focused and to be on the alert at all times. But how many of us have taken the training course to fight against Satan and stay focused against him at all times? So we need to ask God to help us, don't we? In Psalm 139 and verse 23, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. In other words, know me, God, and see if there be any hurtful way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. In other words, what the psalmist is asking God to do is to help me to recognize me so that I can change me. And I'm talking about that hidden stuff, right? Not the stuff everybody can see. The hidden stuff that's deep within my heart that truly identifies who I am, right? So someone said, well, how will you know? Let me ruffle your feathers for just a moment, and then we'll see who you are, right? Let someone ruffle your feathers just a little bit, take you right to that edge, and then we'll see that hidden person that is deep within. I close in Ephesians chapter 6. I think it's a great place to close with the idea of the game of risk, life and the risks that we take. In the warfare that we're in, the battle, fighting against Satan. And there's some very important things, and I just want to read just three verses in Ephesians 6, that we have to recognize. Some very important things. The first thing he says, finally be strong. Not your strength. What do you have to do to fulfill verse 10? You have to lean on the Lord all day long. That's why I keep saying, and the Bible continues to say, keep on praying. The Bible says pray without ceasing. You have to lean on God in order to fight against Satan who's trying to occupy space within your mind. You have to lean on the Lord at all times. So verse 10 says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. You cannot win this battle without God. None of us can. And so we have to keep leaning on Jesus. At all times, number one. Number two, put on the full armor of God. When you get out of bed in the morning, you got to put it on, right? It's better to sleep with it on. It's uncomfortable, but you need it. We need the full armor of God. Why? That you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. So you don't witness a, you witness a scheme at the end, but you can't see it until it unveils itself. It stays hidden for a purpose. It's a scheme. 
So we've got to put the full armor on. And then the third point in closing, this idea of risk. Don't fight the wrong battle. For our struggle, verse 12, is not against flesh and blood. Some of us are fighting the wrong battle. And you wonder why it's so easy for for Satan to flank us. Because you're facing the wrong direction. Because we're fighting the wrong battle. The lesson tonight is yours. If something was said to help to encourage, strengthen you, or strengthen you in some way, to bless you in one way or another, I, I, I pray that we become stronger as a result of it. If tonight you are struggling and you would like prayers made on your behalf, tonight if you are not a child of God and you're ready to surrender to God, the doors are open, the opportunity is before you. If we can help in any way, please come while together we stand and sing our song of invitation.